0: Today's sermon is, sorry I'm late, but I'm here to help. And it's taken from Daniel 10, verses 10 through 21. Well, we're studying the book of Daniel. We're getting towards the end of it. Daniel chapter 10. We'll be finishing up, and then 11 is a long one, and then 12 is real quick. So if I haven't mentioned it before, we're going to be starting the book of Matthew when we finished with Daniel. It's the last gospel I have not preached through and of course it's the gospel to the Jews so we'll be spending a lot of time referring back to the Old Testament the imagery that is there of the tabernacle, the priesthood and all of that. Uh, Stuff that we're studying on, on Thursday evenings in our Hebrews class. And if I failed to mention it before, we took up an offering for Kayla for her trip to Israel. She needs funding for the uh, portion of it, of her flight. She's working part-time, hasn't been able to find a f- full-time job, but uh, we have picked up the cost of her um, time in Israel because with every 11 people you get one free, and so we offered, extended that to her, and she is desirous of going, and we trust that it will build a lifetime of ministry and serving the Lord uh, as she goes. So if you'd like to help out with that, please um, donate to that and make it clear on the check or the envelope in which you do that. Well, I've enjoyed Daniel. How about you? Uh, It's opened, uh, I think, a lot of people's eyes to the uh, efficacy of prophecy and uh, what it means to us. And um, catching the spirit of that, I'm predicting that the uh, New England Patriots will defeat the Atlanta Falcons next week, 24 to 10. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. So I can only do that which I've been called to do, which is to share the scriptures with you. So let us do that this morning. Would you bow with me and ask God to be our ultimate teacher, our guide? Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture in which Daniel prepares his heart uh, to understand the vision of, As uh, you have come to him and made that clear, Father, to him, that this is your will for the future. Help us to understand it now and to apply it rightly to our lives, we would ask in Christ's name. Amen. There's a story told that's obviously apocryphal. It's had wide circulation amongst preachers. The story concerns an unforgettable baptism which took place at a brand new church building It seems that the construction phase was just about complete when there arose a need for the baptismal pool. Well, the pool was functional, but the changing rooms didn't have any walls, which connected it to the baptismal area. So uh, to make use of that baptismal pool on this special Sunday, they hung temporary sheets, between the baptistry and the changing rooms. Everything was going along smoothly as the last candidate was making her way down the stairs towards the water, when suddenly her foot began to slip on the stair. And even though she had been assured that there was no danger of her falling, she panicked, and clawing for the air, she grabbed onto the only thing that she could, and the nearest object was the temporary sheeting that had been hung to hide the men's changing room now the previous candidate who had just exited the baptistry was in that changing room standing completely buck naked when the ship the sheet was removed sensing something terribly amiss he turned to see every eye in the congregation staring back at him humiliated by this unforeseen turn of events. He did the only thing that a man could do. He jumped into the baptistry waters. Both the preacher and the fallen woman were aghast, and the church lost two families that day. Well, that's sort of funny, isn't it? But the point is simple. You never know when things you don't want to be revealed will be. This morning, we come to a section in Daniel that gives us a glimpse into the unseen dimension. The unseen dimension that has great influence over nations and individual lives. Truth is, human beings are confined to four dimensions. Albert Einstein famously defined this as the time-space continuum. That is, we experience life through the prism of the four physical realities. That is, length, depth, height, and time. Now, materialists limit their understanding of the world to these four dimensions. Length, depth, height, and time. Consequently, they have no room for the additional dimension that is taught in Scripture. For it cannot be quantified in a science lab nor defined by the scientific method. Despite the assurances of materialists, they assert that they alone are rational and scientific and that anything outside of the realm of science must necessarily conflict and contradict science that is taught. They justify their assertion by saying that it's settled science and cannot be contradicted. For example... The materialists continually declare that man is the cause of catastrophic climate change, a.k.a. global warming, and that to not believe in climate change is to ignore the myriad of physical and historical evidence that contradicts their settled science. Their rhetoric flows from the intense desire, I believe, to be right about their belief. So they must deny any truth that contradicts their position. The materialist also denies that, or I should say, espouses Darwinian evolution. That is, that their gospel of billions of billions of years must have passed in order to create the earth and the universe in which we see. This is the driving force of their philosophical position. It is a position that is driven by a ideological place, ideological position, and they set this model up as the go-to scientific reason for everything that they believe. So such folks that do not believe in their truth are wrong, and they are right. And by holding to the Darwinian model, they believe that there is no God. Therefore, all evidence, physical and historical, must be made to fit their system of belief, their ideology, that there is no God, and that the universe and mankind came into being by accidental means of nature. Amazingly, they claim to be the true scientists, though the scientific model does not support nor is able to recreate the process called evolution. But as men will do, they deceive themselves into believing that they are right. So while it is completely true that we are creatures of the time-space continuum, as postulated by Einstein, there is another dimension which cannot be seen that declares a reality to us that we do not know of unless we read of it in the Scriptures. There we find a glimpse into a Another dimension, a spiritual dimension that lies on the other side of the time space continuum. It has, according to Paul, principalities, powers, and authorities that are battling for power and control. As believers in God Almighty and not the Darwinian model, we know that there are angelic beings that serve Him to accomplish. His goals, our Lord. We also know that part of the spiritual reality is the demonic. There are those that oppose his goals and his purposes. This dimension has God, Satan, good angels, and fallen ones as well. The Bible reveals these spiritual entities in its pages, the elect and evil angels which influence the nations and individuals, as we shall see in our text this morning. However, we do not see that on a daily basis. We do not experience that in our lives very often. And so we must rely upon Holy Scripture to define this spiritual dimension for us. As you know, Daniel has been shown in the last few chapters that we've studied, two, seven, and eight, and nine, the details of future events that will affect nations and individuals. He shared the broad strokes of this future uh, in these visions that he's had. And you'll recall that in chapter two, Daniel spoke of the grand outline of the historical events that would take place in the great four empires that would dominate the world scene. Namely, Media Persia, Babylon, Greece, and Rome. Then in chapter 7, he enlarged upon that outline by focusing on the third and the fourth empires in particular, Media Persia and Greece. In chapter 8, he enlarged upon that, focusing on the Jewish fortunes underneath the Media Persian Empire itself. And now, in chapter, in last week in chapter 9, we saw that he presented a sketch of the whole future all the way to the end times in which the Lord Jesus Christ would return eventually and establish the thousand-year reign we call the Millennial Kingdom. So in these chapters, in these texts, we've seen a broad outline given, some detail, given with some detail about future events. In the portion of the text that we looked at last week of chapter 10, we saw that God came to explain, the Son of God came in a theophany to explain to Daniel some of the minutiae because Daniel was confused. He was visited by, in many scholars' opinions, the Lord Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate, or as I suggested to you, a post-incarnate appearance of himself. In today's text we will see that he is joined by two angelic beings. So as we look beyond the norm, the time-space continuum, we see into the spiritual realities that we don't often get to view. As we look forward to chapter 11... One of these messengers, one of these angelic beings, will show Daniel the sweep of Jewish history from his current status in Medo-Persia all the way through the 2nd century BC in which Antichus Epiphanes will reign and dominate Israel and destroy the temple and uh, the Jewish people. So, then in chapter 12, there will be a focus on the last things once again as we are... Introduced to the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, and the Thousand-Year Reign of Christ. So, what brought Daniel to this point? That's the question. How did we get here? Well, you'll remember that before the curtain was open and before we got this peek into the spiritual reality of another dimension, Daniel had been reading the book of Jeremiah. You remember? He was reading Jeremiah when the Lord came to explain the meaning of it to him. And he was told to focus upon the spiritual truth that God was giving his people, that the 70 years of captivity was just about over. Things were about to change. And Daniel was really, really happy about that, but concerned for the future. He then experienced three years of his life, and he saw part of the Jewish people a small amount of them returned to Jerusalem, start rebuilding the temple as he thought was the will and the purpose of God and their deliverance from Babylonia and the exile. And he also saw that come to a standstill after two years. The foundation had been rebuilt of the temple, but everything had come to, to a stop. That brings us to last week, and we saw Daniel going to the riverside, the Tigris, you'll recall, for a spiritual retreat, as I labeled it. And he is pondering the truth of God. He's praying and asking God for answers to this dilemma that he has. Why isn't the temple going on? And this is all taking place during the Passover period and the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. So, we look back to verse 5 of Daniel 10 and we see this is so because Daniel says, I lifted my eyes and looked and there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of gold of uphaz and his body was like barrel, and his face was the appearance of lightning and his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet were like gleaming polished bronze and the sound of his words was like a tumult. I said to you, that was Jesus Christ because it ex- it, it it is exactly the same representation of Christ in Romans uh, Revelation chapter 1 so Jesus comes to comfort Daniel in his quandary about what's taking place in Jerusalem but I suggest to you that Christ was not alone He was accompanied by two spiritual beings. We know them as angels, and in this case particularly, two archangels who look just like men. Now, this was not an unusual scenario. You'll recall back in the book of Genesis when Abraham was outside his tent on a hot day, and he's greeted by three men. Well, let me read it for you from Genesis 18. The Lord appeared, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre when he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes, sounds just like Daniel, doesn't it? And looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Now, you're probably familiar with this story. It's a hot day. Abraham's hanging outside the tent, trying to cool off in the doorway, getting the typical Middle Eastern wind blowing on him. When he sees these three guys walking by and he offers them Middle Eastern hospitality. Hey, come on in, guys. Stop. Let's have some food. We'll share some jokes. We'll have a good time. And then you can be on your way. So after bowing and offering him the food, uh, they have a conversation. And it turns to his wife, Sarai who will become Sarah. They ask him where Sarah is, and he points to the woman's tent, and he says, she's over there. And then the one referred to as the Lord pipes up and says, he declares, you will have a son within a short period of time. Well, as you know the story, Sarah's eavesdropping at the tent, and she laughs out loud at the prospect of her getting pregnant at the late age of 90 years old. And the Lord asks Abraham, why is your wife laughing? And she pipes up that she's not laughing. She lies. But the Lord then insists that she is. And the conversation comes to an end. And the three men suddenly find themselves moving towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham tags along, following behind them, asking them questions. And the Lord tells Abraham that he is going to Sodom and Gomorrah because there's been an outcry, a terrible outcry, from the city and judgment is coming upon the two cities. Abraham, as you know, waxes philosophically with the Lord, questioning him about the justice of God. Abraham says that wouldn't it be wrong, unjust, for God to destroy the city just because of a few ungodly men. What if there were a hundred godly men there? Would he still destroy it? And we know the story. He whittles it down to 10 men. The Lord agrees not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if we could find 10 righteous men in the city. Now here's my point. The Lord Jesus appeared to Abraham and he was accompanied by two helpers Two angels, they are the ones who are his messengers and they go to Lot to save the one righteous man who is there, Lot. Here we have a very similar description. The Lord appears to Daniel accompanied by two angels at the river's edge where Daniel is contemplating the Lord's message to him. In this visitation of Daniel, the Lord then brings with him two men. Let's see their interaction on page 895 of the Pew Bible. You can find this in Daniel chapter 10, and we will pick up with verse 10, where we see the ministry of angelic beings. Verse 10, Then, behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. As you'll recall from last week in verse 7, Daniel was traveling not by himself, with, but with a bunch of other men to the riverside for a little rest and relaxation. You'll recall that he hadn't eaten food for those 24 days, or not much food and not much drink, and he hadn't taken a bath. And um, he's there when he is touched. By someone, some kind of a presence is there. These men cannot see the Lord and the two angels, we are told in the previous text. But like most men, they become afraid and they take off for the hills. They run away and they hide So Daniel is here all alone in the presence of what the text calls a certain man whom I've suggested to you as the Lord Jesus. And this is a theophany, a pre-incarnate, a post-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. He's down on his knees to the ground because in the presence of God, man falls prostrate before him when a hand touches him to help him back up to his knees. Again, Back in the previous text, in verses 7 and 8, we learned the content of the vision that Daniel was receiving had been communicated to him previously through the voice of the Lord Jesus. Now this hand picks him up, touches him on the shoulder, and Daniel falls into a deep sleep. That's where verse 9 ended last week. So Daniel's down on his face in a deep sleep when a hand touches him. Daniel is aroused from his sleep, I suggest to you by one of the angels. The angel shakes him awake if you will, but he's still too weak to stand to his feet. He gets to his hands and knees and he's swaying back and forth. He's trembling. Can you imagine this sight? A man face down getting to his knees, swinging back and forth, surrounded by three other men. Well, in verse 11, the angel says to Daniel, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word, I, Daniel that is, stood up trembling. I get the impression that maybe the certain man of verse 5 might have taken off. The man dressed in... White linen with the eyes of lightning. I don't know. But the angel of the Lord asks Daniel to stand to his feet, and he does. Like a drill instructor in boot camp, he commands Daniel to get up. What's the proper response? Yes, sir. Daniel is now standing before the angels. It's good to recall at this point that Daniel is an elderly man. He's about the age of Bud Clark. So it's hard to get up off the ground to your knees and stand up, isn't it, Bud? Well, it would be for me because I'm getting that way too. His face is buried in the ground. With the help of the angel, he's able to stand up. And then the angel tells Daniel that he was sent to him with specific instructions. That's what hap- happens in verse 11. This caused him to tremble even more. Now what, might have, Daniel might have been thinking. Verse 12. The, sa- the angel says to Daniel, Do not be afraid. You see, when you see angels, your first response is to Be afraid. Not like today in the modern books you read, right? You know, oh, I went to heaven and I looked around. It was awesome, dude. We were having a great time. I saw white people in white white outfits. It was really awesome. I just had a great time there. But now I'm back, and I'm here to tell you about it. That stuff is such nonsense. Who believes that? You got to be a moron to believe that stuff. You see an angelic being, you get a peek behind the screen, and you are scared to death. Are you not? That was all extra, by the way. Do not be afraid, Daniel, from the first day that your heart was set on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I came in response to your words. The first day that Daniel prayed, God heard his words and he sent an angel to him. You see, that's what was going on behind the screens. But the angel was delayed. He was delayed. Well, yes, why why was he delayed? Did he, like, skip lunch or something? Did he have an evening date? What was going on? Why was he delayed? Wasn't Daniel a high enough priority for the angel just to make his way right there? Well, the angel tells us that Daniel is held in high regard. He's held in high esteem. It was his greatest duty and privilege to go to Daniel with his answer to his questions, to answer to his prayers, because Daniel wanted to know what the word of the Lord meant. It tells us that Daniel was Humble before God, wanting to understand the meaning of the vision that he had received. And the angel has come to reassure him now that his prayers were heard from the very beginning. But these 24 days that have passed are because the angel had been delayed. Now we must remember that angels dwell in a place that we cannot see in another dimension. In 2 Kings chapter 6, which Bud, you guys might have studied recently in your Sunday school class. The king of Aram is upset with the prophet Elisha because Elisha kept revealing his plans to the king of Judah. Finally, the king of Aram became so upset with the prophet Elisha that he sent his army to get him and to kill him. Do you remember the story? Well, We read in 2 Kings that Elisha and his servant are in a house in the town of Dothan. When early the next morning, Elisha's servant got up and went out of the house and saw the Syrian troops with their horses and their chariots surrounding the town of Dothan. He went back to Elisha and he cried out saying, Sir, we are doomed! What are we to do? Elisha said to him, Don't be afraid! We have more on our side than they have on theirs. The servant must have looked around and said, (laughs) I only count two, but okay. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open up his eyes and let him see. And the Lord answered Elisha's prayer. His servant went back outside and looked at the hillside, and it was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around. God's angels were all around. Do you remember that story? They are surrounded by an army of unseen beings. He couldn't see it until the Lord opened his eyes to that dimension. This reminds me of what the psalmist states very pithily in chapter 34, verse 7. The angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You see, these beings are there whether we see them or not. These servants of God are there, whether you know it or not, just as the evil one has his demons present as well. That's why the writer of Hebrews exhorts us, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels without realizing it. Now, verse 13. We see the instructions from the angelic being given to Daniel. The, The angel says to him, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. This helps clear up this whole situation for us, because the identity of the parties are given to us. The First angel explains why he was delayed in bringing the message to him. He was delayed by the prince of Persia. This is clearly a reference to a demonic fallen angel who has influence over the nation of Persia. This is a wicked angel called the prince of Persia. This evil prince is stronger than any human prince. As one of the demons, one of the prince's of the prince of darkness, he can and does affect the choices that are made by the human princes of Persia, the Persian kings, if you will, all from behind the scenes. But it was because of Daniel's prayer that the elect angel, who I am going to tell you is Gabriel, Gabriel is sent to Daniel to answer his prayer, to instruct him, is to what the meaning of his prayer was. But as Gabriel was going, he was intercepted by the prince of Persia and he was delayed for three weeks. A great struggle took place between Gabriel and the prince of Persia, so much so that the Lord had to send in the Calvary. He had to send Michael, the archangel, and a battle royale was held in the unseen world. Can you imagine this? The forces of Satan against the forces of God Almighty, good against evil, light against darkness, all hidden by the curtain of the fifth dimension. Unbeknownst to all of that is that we are pawns in that battle today, just as the kings of Persia and Daniel were pawns in that battle between good and evil that is taking place on planet Earth today. Well, we might ask, why did the Lord send Michael? He sent Michael because we learn later on in the text that he was a protector of the nation of Israel. And who was in the midst of this battle? The Jews, the exile, the rebuilding of the temple. So the Lord sends Michael to help Gabriel to defeat the forces of wickedness so that Gabriel can get to Daniel and finish the task of sharing the message that God gave him. He sent the protector of Israel to Daniel to help out with this battle. Daniel couldn't fight this battle himself in an unseen world. Men cannot battle with angels. That's why Jacob wrestled with the Lord at Bethel, rather than an angel. Now, some people scoff at this whole idea that there's heaven and hell, that there's angels elect and evil, that there's even good and bad, or that there's Satan and God. But clearly, that's what the Bible teaches. So Gabriel was sent Michael to help defeat the demon that ruled over Persia, or influence the events in Persia. So therefore, we understand him as a fallen angel, doing the bidding of Satan. The truth is, these angelic beings, good and bad, influence our lives today. They influence the world in which we live in. Just as Persia had a demonic influence over it, and Israel had an angelic influence, influence over it for good. So I suggest to you that there are those angels elect and evil that interfere with or help in the social, religious, and political institutions in the lands of the world today. They can do so for good and evil depending upon their natures. It was the prince of Persia who was destructive in Daniel's life and in the life of Israel by delaying Gabriel. Maybe then this is the appropriate time for me to share a little bit about the organization of angelic beings. As you know, the Bible teaches very little about it, but it does reveal some things to us. It tells us that one-third of the angels in heaven fell when Satan rebelled against God. Each individual angel was given his choice at the time of this rebellion to either take the Lord's side... Or take the evil one side, Satan, formerly the greatest of all celestial beings, wanted to be like God. And when Satan fell and the angels fell with him, they were sealed in their choice as either elect or evil. That is what the Bible teaches about the angelic beings. Satan then organized his minions into a pattern based upon that which he had seen in heaven and the heavenly ranks of angels there. The Lord organizes his angelic beings into the ranks according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 as rulers, authorities, powers, and dominion. Gabriel and Michael were of the highest order. They were called archangels, and they were assigned to watch over the affairs of the land of Israel. By way of imitation, Satan assigned his minions, his demons, to influence human kingdoms of all different kinds and names. So we can extrapolate from this that there are angels, elect and evil, that watch over and influence the countries of the world today the human leaders of today. We've seen such influence on human leaders in the past. Most people would acknowledge that, even those that are politically correct, that that Adolf Hitler was an evil man in Germany. They would recognize some type of evil or satanic influence in Nazi Germany. And by extension, we can say of other countries, those with atheistic or communistic tendencies, those nations that are under Islamic Sharia law, which goes completely against biblical teaching. I don't think it's hard to recognize these places that are under the influence of demonic, angelic beings. We see them in the news every day. We see their leaders in the news every day. Even some of our leaders, I would suggest to you, suggest to you are under the influence of satanic beings. Most of them have D after their name. Otherwise, how do you interpret, understand, relate to such People who advocate things like abortion, euthanasia, eugenics, same-sex marriage, and laws that prohibit our God-given rights. There's a culture war taking place in America today. There's a war between good and evil. There's a war that has satanic oppression aligned with it, as well as good angels who are affecting us for righteousness. Did you really think you could escape this war between good and evil? You are in the midst of it. You are a foot soldier in God's army. Are you prepared? Have you donned your uniform today? Did you dress in your armor? Are you carrying the shield of faith? Do you have the word of truth with you? If not, you are ill prepared for the spiritual battle that we are involved in, whether it be seen or unseen. Have you prepared yourself with prayer? Paul speaks of this culture war in 2 Corinthians chapter saying, say, saying for though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My dear ones, we are at war. My war and your war is not against the progressives or the communists or the fascists or the protesters out on the streets this past week, our war is with the evil one and his minions. Thank God we have a heavenly host that is on our side. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness, and against spiritual forces in heavenly realms. That's not my words, that's the words of Scripture. Do you believe you are in a spiritual war? If you do not, you are a fool. Wake up, America! You have been given this peek behind the scenes this morning of this conflict that is taking place in the heavenlies. Do you see it? Do you? I hope so. We're in a battle. Believers are battling evil today. We are his righteous warriors. Take up the armor. Prepare yourself. Or you will find yourself defeated. You know, a lot of people think the Old Testament is irrelevant. I've been in churches where they told me that, written me notes. Why are you preaching from the Old Testament? We're a New Testament church. Literally, I've had that. Oh, you wouldn't believe what happens to preachers. The notes that they get, the things that people say to them. Why are you studying prophecy? It's pointless. Nobody can really know. I've been told that. I am reminded of an enemy that we have in the spiritual realm that does not want us to know the truth. Doing everything to get us to disregard the truth of God. Every word according to the scripture is filled with power. Every word will be fulfilled to the jot and to the tittle. All scripture is inspired and God breathed. So knowing the whole Bible is necessary for you to defend yourself against the enemy. The devil wants believers to remain ignorant of future things. He wants us to be dumb sheep that he can slaughter. Instead of wise as serpents and armed to the teeth to battle against him. Well, this conversation concerning the invisible war taking place between the forces of wickedness and the forces of God is essential for us if we are to be prepared and withstand the onslaught. Daniel had been praying for understanding. Show me, God. For three weeks he waited for an answer. This might have caused Daniel to wonder. Why didn't the Lord answer my prayer? You ever have that? Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? He might have... Wondered about this. He might have continued to pray and wait. But beyond his knowledge was this battle taking place in the unseen places. We should be grateful for this knowledge. We should be grateful that the Lord opened this portal up for us to see this truth. That makes me sure. That when I see things that are anti-Christ going on around me, I know, whether it be in the religious, political, or social world around me, that evil is real and at work. But I can trust my God because he has supplied my needs to defend myself. Next, Gabriel offers an explanation of future events to Daniel in verse 14. Now, I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to who? Your people. Who is your people? Daniel's a Jew. In latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. There are three keys to understanding this text and this vision. Proper hermeneutics must be employed if we are to have a right understanding of it. The first thing is, who is it written to? Who is the audience? To whom is this vision written about? These prophecies were written to your people, Daniel. According to this verse, it's not written to the church. These people who want to reinterpret the Old Testament and say that God is writing to the church today is nutty. God was writing to Daniel's people, the Jewish people. This is about what's going to happen to the Jews. What's written in this next few chapters will not flesh out for the next several hundred years. So we can say categorically that Daniel was given insight into the future of the Jewish people. Not only for Antichus epiphanies, but for the future when the Lord Jesus Christ will come back to defeat the Antichrist in the ages to come. This is not applicable to the church. It was to your people the church wasn't even thought of. It wasn't even a kernel in anyone's mind. They had no idea that there would be a church. Did you know that there would be drones someday delivering packages from Amazon? Secondly, if we're to understand this, we must see that the vision was written about the latter days. It hasn't been fulfilled completely, but it will be completely fulfilled in the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, the last seven years, the last one week. These phrases found in this text such as latter days and future days pertains to that day time period. It's yet future from our standpoint. This vision is written about a long length of time. It's not going to be suddenly fulfilled, but it's going to take a whole course of thousands of years to finally come to fruition. Now, we might be at the end of those thousands of years, but 2,000 years have passed since Jesus lived. And in verse 15, we see Daniel's response to this explanation By the one who touched him, who I'm suggesting to you is Gabriel. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. He was speechless. He had tape over his mouth. Maybe you've seen that picture in the news lately. His whole physical being has been affected. He drops down to his knees, and to his face. He does that a lot, doesn't he? I couldn't do that. I couldn't get back up. I have to sue, help me get up. Bring me something. He's down on his knees, in his face. And he's totally unable to speak. Don't you wish the Gabriel angel, Gabriel the angel would visit a lot of women this week? That one just went right over your head. They'd be totally unable to speak. Come on. (laughs) It's a joke. All right. Now looking at verse 16, we read. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him, who was standing before me? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just no strength in me, nor has there been left any breath in me. Who is this one that resembles a human being? Is this Christ again? Is this the angel? We just don't know. Because the text does not tell us. But he does touch the lips of Daniel. And once again, he has strength. He has the ability to get up. It reminds me sort of when Jesus healed people. Do you remember when Jesus healed the dumb man in Mark chapter 7? Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and he put his fingers into his ears after spitting upon them. He touched his tongue with the saliva and said to him, be opened and his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak plainly. This sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He touches him, and he's able to talk again. I don't think any angels have that power to you. I've never seen it in scripture. Once again, Daniel writes in verse 18, then the one With human appearance touched me and again strengthened me. This is the third time in this text that Daniel says that he has been touched by a supernatural ability, supernatural being and given the ability to be strengthened. We find it in verses 10, 16, and now 18. The first touch enabled him to get up. The second touch enabled him to speak. And the third touch enabled him to carry on a lucid conversation. I wish the angel of the Lord would touch my bad knee. Now, verse 19. Where the one who had a human experience and an unbelievable touch said to Daniel, O man of high esteem, for the second time Daniel is told that God holds him in high esteem. And the second time he tells him, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I receive strength. And he said, my, may my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. This seems to be much more than an angel to me. He speaks, and things happen. He grants peace to Daniel. Peace be with you. This sounds a lot like word, the words of Jesus in the New Testament, doesn't it? Do you remember when the Lord promised peace to his disciples in John chapter? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Angels can't give peace. Only God can give peace. Peace is one of the blessings of knowing God personally. And this encourages Daniel and strengthens him. He has peace in the midst of the storm, the spiritual battle and storm that he finds himself in the midst of. And Gabriel says to him, Okay, Daniel, now that you've been strengthened, now that you've got your voice back, get back into the battle. Look with me at verse 20. Do you understand why I came to you? I hope so. But I shall now return, so this shows me that this is Gabriel, to the fight against the prince of persia so i am going forth behold the prince of greece is just about to come there's a transition from the third empire uh, second empire to the third empire now from media persia to greece did i get that right or is it from media persia to greece i get those mixed up sometimes gabriel's returning to the spiritual battle he's going to fight the devil's minion in Persia. Daniel has his part in that battle again, in this ongoing battle. You know, the battle never stops. You can defeat the prince of Persia, and you know what? Another one's coming down the pike. The prince of Greece is coming. After the prince of Greece is the prince of Rome, who's still in authority today. So, next week, we will see. That Daniel will discuss once again from his vision the truth about the four great worldwide empires that will dominate the world for the next centuries. There was Babylon that's done with Media, persia which is almost over. Greece and finally Rome. All four will be discussed in this vision that he shares with us in the next two chapters. He gave us a Grand overview of it, do you'll recall through the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the statue, remember the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the bronze feet mixed with clay. He gave us more depth when he showed about the frightening animals pictured for us. You'll recall the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the last one was just a beast, a composite of the other ones. And finally, we saw this even in greater detail with the vision of the ram and the goat. But now this last portion of Daniel, chapters 11 and 12, will give us the specifics, the time period in which great events will take place on the world stage, previewing the coming birth of Christ and those that follow up after it all the way to the millennial kingdom. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to this. He ends this chapter with this warning, verse 21. However, but, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. What do you think that is? I think that's the Bible, don't you? It hasn't been written yet, some of it, but he's going to tell him what's in it. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael and your prince. This verse begins with the adversive particle, abat. That word can be translated either as however or but, but it serves the purpose of introducing the response to the fear that Daniel was having. Sort of an antidote, if you will, Daniel Daniel is told to pay attention to the truth of God. That's my advice for you today. Pay attention to the truth of God. Don't listen to the talking heads on TV, religious or secular. Look to the word of God. You see, the demons have been sent to try to confuse us. Do the Karl Rove's and the uh, Stephanopoulos and all the other talking heads on TV. Don't listen to them. They're under demonic influence. They're not going to tell you what the Bible says. They're going to tell you contrary. Go to the scriptures, to the writings of truth, and you will see that God is sending his forces, his princes, including Michael, to defend the nation of Israel and those who are righteous in this world. God has his messengers. He's got his warriors that he's deploying around the world for the battle that is coming. Are you preparing yourself? Read the writing of his truth. We know that this is true, that God sent Michael, your prince, against these forces. How do we know that? Because in 538 B.C., Cyrus issued a decree to release the exiles to allow them to return to Jerusalem. That was followed, as you know from last week, by three other decrees by Darius and Antichus that all against their own interests allowed the Jews to return because God declared it to be so and his angels were speaking in the ears of those men. Well, how can we apply this to our lives today? Well, for, for, for starters, we see that this entire experience that Daniel went through should remind us that we are weak and incapable ministers. We cannot do anything in our own strength. We need the touch of God in our lives. He might not touch you physically as he did Daniel. He might not send you special ministers like he did Gabriel and Michael to Daniel. But he's given you the writing of truth. And that's even more powerful. Because the word of truth will not go void. God will strengthen you. God will enable you. Through his grace, he will Help you to accomplish any task he calls you to do. It's amazing to me that this entire chapter is devoted to Daniel's preparation to share the vision given to him by God. A whole chapter! It's important to prepare, to be ready ahead of time. How are you doing on your devotional life? Do you pray to God? Do you read his word? Do you take this stuff seriously or are you walking through life blinded, unprepared? If you were a soldier in the U.S. Army, would you skip the morning session that tells the soldiers the events that will take place to the day? Would you leave your battle gear at home? Would you leave your rifle at home? Well, you might if you're Bergdahl. Or would you prepare so that your life is preserved? Daniel prepared, and the Lord devoted a whole chapter to it. That tells us as a church that we should be reading, studying prophecy, knowing it, so that we can be prepared. Lastly, we should not be thrown by any delays in the plan of God. God's program will be fulfilled on His time schedule. We might not be privy to all those details. We've been given the broad overview. He will accomplish that. He might not come in my lifetime. I'm hoping He does. But His delay might be longer than my life. We must go with God, go with His plan. And not make dates, you know all these guys on the radio and TV and in the books setting dates. Oh, there's blood moons, Ooh, I know the dates next week. Next week comes and goes. Don't take a delay as negating the programme of God. Take it as an encouragement that He is still coming because He has promised that He will. So play your part. This is serious business in the war against evil. You are a warrior in God's army. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for this day. Help us to prepare for the battle that lies ahead next week. Help us, Lord, as we walk through those doors. Realize that we are entering into the battlefield, the mission field. Help us, Father, to see the unseen, to know that you're... Angels are there influencing your people for good and battling with the forces of darkness. Help us, Lord, to remember that. This is, this is not a Spielberg movie. This is truth. Help us, Lord, to see beyond what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears, Lord, but only recognize through the truth of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.